I am your host, Stephen, and you are listening to the Learn Swift podcast, where beginners to the Swift language share their background, experiences, lessons learned, and ambitions. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing David Miller. David is a freelance web scraper who recently graduated from Dev Mountain's iOS bootcamp back in May. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what are you up to today? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, just... <laughs> I've got uh, some family in town, so I'm just uh, hanging out with them a little bit today, taking a break from, you know, day-to-day life on the holiday. Right, yeah, same here. I had a pretty pretty lazy day myself. So, what is your background, and what got you into Swift? Um, so, my, uh, my education background is actually in photography. I went to, to school. Uh, for photography for a while, tried to be a wedding photographer, uh, realized that I'm horrible at uh, marketing myself. So uh, that didn't work out so great. Um, And then I actually ran a photo lab for a few years. Uh, We shut that down. Like a physical photo lab? Yeah, like a photo lab. So we would process and scan film from Mm -hmm. people all over the world. Okay, wow. Yeah, uh, so it's just me and a business partner, and we shut that down. Um, and during this whole time, uh, I've been doing web scraping. Um, so I get information off of websites uh, in an automated fashion. Okay, do you use Python for that, or do you have a kind of a GUI? I've seen a lot of GUI tools out there. Yeah, um, so I use a, a specific piece of software called Mozenda. Okay. Um, I worked at the company for a while doing tech support. Okay. Uh, and then, and that was when they were still pretty young, you know, a couple of years old. And so I kind of got in before they were the standard and now they're, you know, they're really popular uh, as far as web scraping software goes. Okay. Uh, so I just started doing the freelance work and, you know, I just happened to get in at a good time, I guess. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. So what are your typical clients like for web scraping? Is it people that want data randomly throughout the web for a specific topic or is it people that are wanting some kind of asset about a specific like product or company so it's usually pretty um pretty targeted information that they're Mm -hmm. looking for so they'll say i want to scrape all the products on this site or i want to uh one of my biggest clients um they they get uh, reviews from all over the website. So uh, I have about, I think, 71 different sites that I run uh, scrapers on okay. called agents. Um, so they, and it's all in the, all, all automated at this point. Mm-hmm. So they send uh, to Mozenda these URLs for the, the specific page, uh, say it's for the specific business that they're trying to scrape reviews for. Right. And then it runs through my, uh, through my agents and then spits back out you know a list of reviews in you know whatever format they want okay. and so they just do this thousands of times a day across you know 70 different sites huh do you ever run into any uh, issues with the target websites I guess you would say oh yeah I mean that's why they still keep me around is because you know the basically the way web scraping works is you say you know go to this location on the page and take this information um, and you know that that location uh, 
to determine that location, we use what's called an X path. So it's just kind of like a series of steps through uh, an XML or HTML document. Okay. So it's like go to, you know, HTML element, then the first div element, and then the first span where the class okay. says this. Or you okay. know, you can you can get kind of complex with it. Yeah. Um, and so these websites, oftentimes, you know, they'll change pretty frequently, and so it's mm-hmm. my job to go in and make sure that everything is is grabbing the information where it needs to be and and parsing it out properly and, okay. and spitting back the correct. So you're having to go data. inside of the page source essentially and like figure out the the tag elements and then map that back to Mozinda. Is that is that, uh, how that essentially? Works? I mean, Mozinda handles a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it's not perfect. I mean, nothing's okay. ever going to be perfect, right. and so you do sometimes have to go in and say, "All right, well the." The XPath that it thinks it should be doesn't work for every case. And so I have to go in and say, well, we're going to change it here and here and, and make it stronger and more, um, you know, fit better across all, all the different variations of pages that, the, that this site is going to give us. Okay. So what led you to Swift and iOS development? So I mean, I've always been kind of a, an Apple fanboy. Okay. Um, and so it, when I... And I've always been very tech-minded, always trying to keep up with, you know, what's going on. And so I feel like it's kind of a natural progression. Um, I, You know, you get an idea for an app and you start looking for it and no app really fits exactly what you want. You know, maybe some are close and you're just like, well, I should just learn how to do it myself. I just figure it out. I mean, you hear all the time about people teaching themselves how to, how to program and iPhone has been a you know a big thing in that where it's I think it's brought a lot of new programmers and and given them a kind of a f- way to get their foot in the door easier mm-hmm. than other platforms. Okay. Um, and so you hear stuff about you know people teaching themselves how to code or you know that kind of thing. Um, yeah, well, and I guess with you know with Swift and iOS, and there's not really a whole lot of. Uh programs out there that teach that in school anyway i think there are a handful Um, yeah i've heard it that it's just not super common even i mean i i guess it's as far as languages go it's still very new yeah Um, but from what i understand like even objective c isn't you know very commonly taught so so what was your first exposure to programming in swift so i bought um uh, I can't remember Nick Walter's course on uh, Udemy. Okay. Um, he, you know, he's got a ton of them. And, yeah, I did one of his courses as well. And like, I bought it, and I was like, I'm gonna, I want to learn this. I'm gonna spend like an hour a day, and then I just didn't. Um, okay. And I ended up having to buy it again oh, when really? the next version of Swift came out. Because okay, so you did a Swift two course. So I, I think I bought Swift. Two and Swift three. Okay. Um, and I started going through uh, Swift three, and realized that I am not. Uh, I kind of need the human interaction, like to okay. ask questions. I need somebody I can like. I don't know that I can confirm that I understand it properly. Right. Um. So I ended up deciding to go to Dev Mountain. Uh, is that that's a boot mountain. camp? Yeah, so they're a boot camp. Okay. And, uh, I went to the one in Salt Lake City, um, 
and it was i mean it's called a boot camp for a reason it was, it was pretty intense okay so that's where i learned most of it okay how was that experience uh did you have to go through an application process or do they accept pretty much anybody that's willing to come out and learn yeah so there's an application process um so you they give you kind of a, a small uh, coding challenge, and they say you can use any resource to get it done. So if you need to, you know, go online or whatever, because they they don't they expect people that are coming in to have pretty much no background in in development, um, and that's how how it was for almost everybody in the class I was in. Uh, there was one or two that had a little bit of background, but for the most part, we were all Newbies. zero tech background. Gotcha. Um, so they uh, they did give you a, a little code challenge with I think there was like three questions. Okay. There was a classic uh, fizz buzz. Uh, okay. You know about that. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. For so anyone I'm that sure doesn't I'm... know out there, the fizz buzz challenges, you you get usually you loop over. A range of numbers uh most commonly i think you see one to a hundred or sometimes you know and then from there uh if it's divisible by three you print out fizz if it's divisible by five you have to print out buzz and if it's divisible by both five and three it prints out fizz buzz and then otherwise it prints out the number so that's a pretty common uh, code challenge yeah but. So there was that and a handful of other questions I don't remember right off the top of my head. Okay. So what was the curriculum like and what were the hours like? Um, so the curriculum, the way they do it is they break it up into um, two sections. There's your classwork section uh, where it's you know sitting in a class mm-hmm. most of the day learning. And it's you know it's, it's a small class. Um, and there's a lot of discussion going on and project work and, you know, kind of helping each other. Um, and then the, uh, the second half of the course is, uh, just projects. So the first six weeks, six to nine weeks, um, they kind of, the, the length kind of varies depending on how well you're grasping the material. Mm -hmm. So like on week one, at the end of every week, they have an assessment. Okay. You don't pass the assessment then you're allowed to repeat that week and kind of give it another shot. Do they uh, do they, they charge you more for that extra week? Or no, is it... they don't. Okay. Uh, they're actually pretty awesome in that way. So you can repeat weeks up to three times. Oh, wow. Um, and if you have to do a fourth, then they ask you to just go to the next cohort, the next group that's coming in. And again, uh, my understanding is they don't charge you any extra. If, okay. You know, so you know, we had some people that had, had to go through couple times um but and and, you know it didn't cost them any extra money okay so so they're they're pretty awesome about that you know they really do try to help you get through the course Mm -hmm. as and i know that might sound like they're just trying to push you through um but i never really felt at all like they just tried to push me through like they actually wanted me to learn the you know learn the material Mm -hmm. um and not just like push me through to boost their, you know, their graduation numbers or whatever. Right. So do they have any kind of, I'd imagine it's kind of hard to say that they do a job guarantee or whatever, but do they help out with like uh, job coaching or anything like that? 
afterwards? Yeah, so they don't have, they don't have a job guarantee, um, but they do have uh, they do help you try and find a job. So they've got, um, in fact, just this week uh, on Thursday, just coming up, they've got a, a job fair uh, okay. in Salt Lake. Oh, and cool. So you know they'll have anybody that's gone to Dev Mountain is allowed to come to the job fair and you know meet potential employers and you know all that kind of you know hand out their resume right um and they do that at least three times a year up here and i know they've got a campus in dallas they do that kind of stuff they've got one that they just opened up somewhere in arizona i don't remember okay so they uh they do a lot of work to help you get a job but there's no guarantee right obviously yeah you know and they spend time um during the project part of the of the course uh, helping you with your resume and helping people understand LinkedIn and how to use utilize that. Mm-hmm. Um, going over interview questions, we did mock interviews, so there is okay. some job prep. Right, that's that's pretty cool. So you said week six to nine is project week. Uh, six you... to twelve. Six to twelve. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So what is week one to five like? What are you what are you going over in week one, two, three? I'd imagine that you're yeah. probably working on a specific I would imagine week one's probably language basics. Right? Yeah, it's language basics and table views essentially. Like, okay. Here's you know, here's what a view is, you know, here's what a a a variable is, a constant, uh, a function, you know, that kind of stuff. Um and it's all very very basic. So it was mm-hmm. things like here's a list of, you know, a JSON list of uh or JSON file of the planets and some information. Now you're gonna populate a table view or you know, make a small app that's a like a master detail okay. type of thing. Right. Where you here's the picture of the planet in the cell with the planet name and you click on it and it gives you more information. Mm-hmm. You know, but very basic. All the information is provided and right. Um and then, you know, they kind of just move on and just build on top of that. How, how what are the hours like? So it starts at nine mm-hmm. and technically ends at five. Like that's when the instructors go home is they go home at five. Okay. But you um, don't go home at five. <laughs> you don't have to. Okay. And you don't really want to. Gotcha. Because you got a lot to do. Right. You know, they they every every day they give you a project to work on in the afternoon. Okay. Um so in the morning it's instruction, in the afternoon it's all right, here's a you know, a set of instructions. Go do it. Ask us questions as you need. But okay. you know, it's not worth teaching you something. You're learning hands-on learning at mm-hmm. this point. Um and so you're you don't ever get it done before the instructors go home. So you're spending the rest of the night scrambling trying to get this done. Um and you know, sometimes we'd be there till, you know, 11 or 12. Oh wow. Cuz I'm guessing uh, it's due by the next day. Yeah. It's not really due uh, because okay. it's like if you don't do it, then you don't learn it. Right. And, okay. You know, it's a waste of your money. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, that's it's not like point. a school where there's grades and that okay. kind of stuff. So they do go over the code with you though. Yeah. After you complete it, they kind of go through it with you, tell you like, okay, this this part's good, but you know, you could do this this way, and it would probably be better. Is that yeah. how that process works? Yeah, and and the way it kind of works is like the first few weeks. Um, those projects, the instructions are all very explicit. Um, okay. So they kind of, you know, build you up to 
you know, the, the, the bigger projects. Mm -hmm. So when the bigger projects, are those instructor assigned or is it something that you come up with or do you come up with it at, with the team or um, how does that work? Yeah. So you're supposed to leave Dev Mountain with two projects, one um, group project and one personal project. Uh, and they're supposed to both be, you know, out on the app store. Uh, and you, your personal project, you come up with whatever you want and you go through what they call the gauntlet, okay, uh, which is where the instructors and the guy that runs uh, the curriculum, mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Madsen, he's in, insanely smart, intimidatingly smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, like, you present your idea and they just grill you, like, where oh, wow. are you going to get the data from and, you know, what APIs are you going to be using and, you know, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? You know, I mean, they just kind of pick it apart to make sure that it's not just like some, you know, harebrained idea that you had. Right. You know, they they want to make sure that it's going to be something you can get done in three, three weeks because that's about right. all you have to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's not too easy, not too hard. You kind of know what you're getting into, that kind of stuff. Right. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I kind of wish somebody would make me do that every time I think of a new project. <laughs> yeah, I've done a couple since leaving Dev Mountain, mm -hmm. and it's always like, oh, I really should have planned this out. Right. Yeah. Uh, in any way. <laughs> right. It's like you just want to get to the get get into Xcode and start yeah. doing it, but then it's like, eh, maybe I should make a data model first. My, my other app is called Spot, and uh, it lets you mark and track and share uh locations for anything so uh when i was trying to be a photographer i'd okay. think I'd, I'd go somewhere and think like oh that would be a great spot to take somebody's engagement pictures or something like that okay and then i would never write down where it was and i'd forget about it and so i wanted an app where i could just you know mark it and tag it with a keyword like photography or this would be great for learning to fly your new drone or having right. a picnic, you know, whatever, anything mm -hmm. that you want to do, you know, you could mark it and, and tag that location with that. Okay. Um, and so I, one thing I wanted was to make sure it had images. And when I initially set up my data models, um, I put the image as part of the, the spot. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't work very well when you're, you know, you're, check in your map view and you know you want just want to drop pins of all these locations where there are spots right but now you've got to pull down say there's 10 10 spots that are going to show up on your map mm -hmm. now because those images are you know directly part of the that that object mm -hmm. you may be pulling down 30 images when you don't need it you're not going to show any of those right images. and makes it so, makes it all come down a lot slower i would yeah, imagine and so you have to do what's called back referencing so that the the image holds a reference to the spot that owns it so okay you can make a query that says all right i'm showing spot with unique id of you know xyz now when i show this also show me also make a request for all the images that contain a reference to uh, this unique ID XYZ. Okay. So it pulls back all the images only when you need it. Gotcha. Than... Like whenever you're clicking on the spot to see more information about it, then it would call the image as opposed to whenever you're loading all the spots on your map view. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it saves a ton of bandwidth and actually makes the app usable. You know, okay. if you 
if you tap on search and it takes a minute for the pins to drop, yeah. the, the app is useless. Right, yeah. Somebody's <laughs> going to think it's broken. Yeah. So I'm looking at your app, Swish, and was this the group project that you worked on at the boot camp? Yes, this was the, the group project. There's four of us working on it. Okay. So I'm looking at it, and it's like Tinder, but for Dribble, And yeah. you're looking at various UI and UX, uh, des- well, just designs in general, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it does end up being UI design, but I see other stuff. like I just Yeah, there's I, a good I just... amount of just graphic design in there, too. So if you swipe right or... Okay, so if you do the left or right swipe, it'll save, but then you can hit the X or the heart down at the bottom. Right. Right, okay. So what was the process like with the group doing this? Uh, it was interesting um, because none of us, obviously none of us have ever built an app before. Mm-hmm. So Dev Mountain kind of guides you through it a little bit. Um, they give you this big old whiteboard size worksheet thing to, uh, to kind of map out the process over the next... Because they expect it to be you know, done or at least mostly done within three weeks. Um, so they kind of help you break it down into into pieces that'll span across those three weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you kind of give a, a general overview of what the idea is, the, the features you want it to have. Um, and then you start breaking down like, okay, who is going to use this app? Mm-hmm. Who's the kind of person? The, what's the persona is what, what it's called. Of you know who's your who's your user, okay. Um, and then they have a little section for monetization, but I don't think anybody ever really focuses on that. Right. They just kind of want to get the app done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to break down every single view in your app. So you know what's your your launch screen going to look like? What's your sign up view? Your the web view? The you know every single view, and you map out the navigation. Uh, you know, draw mock-ups of, of each view so you can start thinking about uh, UI elements okay. and everything. Um, and then you start breaking down uh, uh, into your, your data models. Um, you know, so what objects are you going to need to be working with? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start going into those model controllers and and breaking that kind of stuff down. What do you need? the the model to do how are we going to be manipulating the data um and so they they try and get you to do as much of the the work mentally beforehand so you don't get in there and get too surprised and they try and get you to think through the whole process from beginning to end Um, well then you have the plus side of not actually putting in features that you don't need or that aren't really supported by the whole group, and you just end up coding in something that <laughs> isn't right. really necessary. Okay. Yeah, and so and inevitably that ends up being uh, arguments in the first you know couple of days of planning. It's well, I think it should have this. Well, I think that's useless, and and so there's definitely going to be some headbutting. Uh, right. And so that what I think we avoided most of that by just saying. Well, you know, it was Andrew's idea, so he'll he'll get the final say on whether or not a feature's going to happen or not. So okay. We just kind of avoided that as much as we can, but it's it still happens. Yeah, I can imagine so. And then you know, then it goes into 
how is it going to be broken down day by day? Like, what should people be working on? You know, on this day, we should be at the point where this feature works. Or at this point, we need to be on test flights or, you know, that kind of thing. So you guys did push out test flights first? Yeah, we did push out the test flight. And uh, they encourage everyone in the group or in the in the whole class to test everyone else's apps as they get on test flight. So there was like a, a communal test flight list with everybody's email addresses so we could send it out to everybody in the class. Okay. Or did you guys use anything to track uh, any crashes or anything like that? Um, and just what test flight gives you. you okay. Know, yeah, I wasn't sure if maybe you guys put in something like Crashlytics or... Uh, whatever I think Firebase has something too. I've never messed with it myself. I was just curious. No, they didn't. They didn't really go over that kind of stuff. I, they, you know, that's they kind of said like that's the kind of thing that you'll be able to learn pretty easy on the job. We're just okay. trying to get, get you to the point where you can hopefully go get a job. Right. So, what have you been doing since you graduated? What have you been learning? What have you been working on? Um, so I have been, uh, I've worked on a, a couple small apps. Um, one is for my, uh, my freelance work where it just helps me calculate bids for projects. Um, but, uh, uh, I kind of, it wasn't originally going to go on the app store, but I thought, well, I'm using it. I might as well stick it on there and show people that it, you know, right. potential employers that I can, you know, I can do this. Um, and then I've got another app that uh, lets you find games, Steam games that you have in common with your friends. Okay. So if you want to play a you know, game with two or three of your friends, um, you just kind of click on their names, and then it shows you all, of the, all the multiplayer games you have in common. Is, um, is there a Steam API? I haven't, I haven't played games Yeah, there is a Steam API. Okay. It kind of sucks. Um, pretty limited. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of kind of a pain to work with. Uh, they don't really offer up useful information very easily. Okay. Um, so like actual game data, you you have to like uh, make a call to get you know somebody's friend list using their Steam ID, and then you, okay for each of those friends you make a call to get all their games, but they only give you an app ID, and then. You have to find the common games. And then for each game, you have to make an individual call to go get the game data. And they only let you do like 200 calls for every five minutes. And so it doesn't sound like it'd be too restricting, but those calls get eaten up pretty quick. Yeah, I would imagine Uh, so if you don't have a... You would think that there would be some kind of JSON that would contain like for... The person who is say say I'm on my I'm using my Steam account as as to check my friends. You would think that it would return a JSON file with friends, and then and then in in friends it would have the games that they that they have and the relevant data. Yeah, like and they I mean they had they do that step by step. They don't really say provide it very easily. Mm-hmm. And again, that relevant data. Um, it has to be called individually, which is the the really annoying part because you can say, you know, show me all the games or all the information for, you know, these twenty or thirty friends. You know, you, you can send across a list mm-hmm. of of uh, Steam IDs, which right. is fantastic. So then you're not wasting a ton of calls. Mm-hmm. 
but when you want to go call the individual game information is one at a time um, and that's that's where most of those calls end up getting eaten up so what was the what, what would you say is the hardest part of making any of your apps uh, what was the what was the one wall that you hit that you would say that was the most difficult to get past um, so all most of the apps, I mean, I don't have a ton. I've only mm-hmm. got like four out there, mm-hmm. um, but they've all had some new thing I've had to learn. Like, uh, like with Swish, um, mm-hmm. I handled everything authorization related. So I had to learn uh, what OAuth was. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how to interact with the response that they're giving in OAuth. And that was also very difficult because uh, it's not... It wasn't direct. We had to get like some information out of the header, and we had to make all the calls and uh, handle the responses of the calls through the app delegate. And um, it 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 was uh, it was it was a pretty steep learning curve. Okay. Um, and so I think that on each of my apps, there's been something like that, whether it's Steam API or how CloudKit works or mm-hmm. back referencing or you know, OAuth, you know, everything, every app, there's been something new I've had to learn. Uh, And so that's really been the biggest hurdle is just not knowing a whole lot yet Um, and trying to figure out how to learn these things by myself. Right. You know, so I think that's the hardest part. You know, once you get the basics, you can learn it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just takes time. Yeah, there's always every everything that I've ever done. There's always been some kind of like, oh yeah, I know how to do this and I know how to do that, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try and do it like this, and it's like, boom, <laughs> like okay, yeah. now there goes like five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then inevitably uh, after you finish it or like two days into it, you find some cocoa pot or something that would have fixed your problem. And <laughs> yeah, well, like, I think I, it's more fun to figure it out though because I I used. Do you use ever use Alamo Fire? Uh, I was going to use Alamo Fire for something for my my Steam uh, mm-hmm. game picking app um, because they do they handle URL caching, mm-hmm. uh, but I ended up having some issue with it, and I I just stuck with what I had and found a different way to handle my problem. Yeah, whenever I was. Whenever I first started learning, uh, I was using Alamo Fire, and which is great. Um, it was a great library to use, but I also found that I was relying too heavily on it, and I was like, man, you know, I should probably learn how to do, you know, API calls without using Alamo Fire. It'd probably be good for me to know how it works under the hood. I found that I I, I try to like to learn as much as I can without before going to the third-party library route. If it's just something that's just so beyond my comprehension, then I then I'll go the I'll go the third-party library yeah. route for sure. So yeah, I think the only time I've ever successfully or yeah, we'll say successfully used a uh, third-party library is uh trying to get a banner message to come down when something happened and I spent just way too long Trying to get it to, like a push come, notification. No, like in, uh, just in the app. So, okay. so like when you go to see a list of the the games that you have in common with your friends, mm-hmm. it's not going to show you the number that it said it was going to show you for 
that's a whole different frustration. But okay. Um, so I wanted a, a banner notification to say, hey, I know I said there are 12 games in common, but here's why we can't show you 12. It's things like they're not all multiplayer games, so they're not relevant. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and so I tried to just get this little banner to just pop down and, oh man, it took me forever. I could not figure it out how to, I got it to like come down, but I couldn't get it to dismiss consistently or that okay. kind of thing. And so I ended up finding this third party library that about five minutes after installing it, I had exactly what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I would imagine that you could view the source. Did you take a look and see how they implemented it? Yeah, and uh, it was way different than way what different? I was trying okay. to do. I wasn't anywhere close. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's one thing I like to do a, a bit whenever I can't figure something out, and I do use a library. I like to look and see how they implement it. So that way, because yeah. you know, a lot of times when you're when you're using a library, there's also a lot of other stuff that you're not going to use at all, and I don't really see the point in having all the extra code in there. That because especially when I think it was more of an issue with Swift 2 and 3 which I really had no experience with but you would see um with libraries not either not updating their code or because I, there was a few cocoa pods that I was wanting to use previously but they they didn't keep them maintained and yeah. then you know there were some other things that even happened from 3 to 3.1 uh that made a library um break and it was still it was still operating, but it was it was some other part of it. And I was like, man, it would just really be nice to not have to worry about somebody else's code breaking my app whenever I could just yeah. you know change a couple lines of my own code. But yeah, and there just... are a few libraries out there that are you know meticulously maintained. Alamo Fire mm-hmm. probably one yeah. of those that it's just yeah really well maintained. Yeah, that'll be around. But for you a while. don't ever know anything you know about the other ones how well maintained they're going to be right. or how long you know even if they're maintained well today are they going to be maintained well tomorrow or six right. months from now or you know when swift 5 comes out you know maybe that'll break everything you know and maybe even when swift you know what i mean yeah you yeah. just never know yeah um and so i i totally agree i think doing things without a third-party library at least learning how to do it that way mm-hmm. is fantastic at the beginning. Um, but then again, when it comes right down to shipping something or not, go for it. Do what you got to do, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so we're starting to run a little low on time. Do you, do you want to put your contact information out there as far as like maybe Twitter or your email or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so my Twitter account is uh, Miller Consulting. Um, okay. People can get a hold of me for whatever they want there. Okay, cool. Well, it was, I I enjoyed our conversation and thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Learn Swift podcast. I hope our discussion left you feeling inspired and that you're not alone. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend, recommending the show on Overcast, or leaving a review on iTunes. If you just want to say hello, you can reach me on Twitter at Stephen underscore 0351. Thanks, and see you next time.